Hello everyone, welcome to Beyond the Adventure, a podcast exploring why people took on their own unique journeys and what they learned from their experiences. My name is Gareth Brown and thanks for listening. On today's podcast, Kieran Alga joins me. This summer, Kieran took on an incredible adventure of running the entire Danube River solo from sea to source and covered eight countries, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Slovakia, Serbia, Croatia, Romania, and Bulgaria. He ran an average of a marathon a day for 67 days, covering a total of 1,849 miles, all while carrying his own kit and camping gear. We talk about Kieran's background in first finding a passion for running, some of the adventures that have helped him prepare for this run, and more on the motivations and challenges that he faced throughout. Hey Kieran, uh, we are live. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yes, it's uh, it's lovely to meet you. Uh, I've only come across some of your kind of material in the last few weeks, but um, it's been a lot of fun catching up on your YouTube channels and your uh, reading up on some of your articles. So yeah, really, really awesome to meet you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy old sort of uh, busy summer for me uh, and sort of, yeah, going off on an adventure, coming back to kind of the day job, which is obviously, you know, we, I test a lot of running gear and um, part of that is sort of pushing in and doing all kinds of different sort of types of running from, I guess, from marathons to just sort of, general weekly miles and then sometimes I do things that are a little bit more extreme as well but amazing and have you uh, have you recovered from the summer yet what we'll go on to that I'm sure in a minute but uh, yeah how are you feeling Feel, feeling all good good after the the 67 days or so of, uh, of running yeah I mean I, I it's taken a little, a little while to sort of settle back in after being sort of out of no, normal life for a while and um, settling back into family life and back into kind of work mode and you know, I think there's sort of two sort of separate bits of recovery. One has been the the body and the the physical, and the other one's definitely been a bit about the mental, um, getting back to normal. And I think it's it's probably taken me a little longer with the the mental recovery than the physical, if I'm really honest. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I think for a lot of people, they probably don't anticipate that after um, some kind of yeah longer distance trip. Um, it's the mental side, I'm sure, that uh, it takes a bit longer to recover. I, I haven't been. The furthest I've ever gone away is kind of six, seven weeks on kind of more bike touring style of things. Not something which is so crazy on the body like you, but uh, but just getting back into the swing of things <laughs> is yeah. uh, is definitely uh, a different element. There were there were some small, like really interestingly, when I first sort of walked through the door after doing this, and you know I've spent what eight or nine weeks with only no choices about what clothes to wear because I only had a small amount of kit like a carry, and I opened up a couple of drawers to to realize I was like what it's like a 17 different decisions of what I can wear just to sit on the sofa and I was just like it's too much <laughs> and I, yeah it's hilarious just went back and put on the clothes that I'd been wearing when I was out running <laughs> well you know like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of leaders in business that literally just uh they just have one outfit they just have multiple versions of the same one I mean they're probably the most famous is the likes of Steve Jobs and yeah. others it's just so you have to eliminate that choice at the beginning of the day and just have his mind focused on other things which is um yeah it's kind of crazy that you got to that reality point but coming at it from a very very different perspective and I, I really get it like I really I can sort of haven't done it that way I can really understand it because you just yeah it's just one sort of bit of stress you don't have to sort of extra bit of stress if you like 
you don't have to worry about. And I know people might think actually, you know, choosing what clothes you wear is shouldn't really be some major sort of hassle in the morning. But actually, I I bet we all know plenty of people for whom it is, you know, in the morning it is it can be like what for choosing the right thing for every kind of occasion and all that kind of stuff. And it was so nice just to go, well, I could, I've only got one pair of shorts to put on, so I'll have to put them on. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. My, uh, my girlfriend um, calls out my fashion wear as just functional, yeah. which uh, is, works for me because <laughs> I, uh, it <laughs> sets me up for the day fairly well. And uh, yeah, I don't have to put that much uh, mental exertion on, uh, yeah. on that area. Yeah. Um, but anyway, for, for people listening, uh, it would be awesome if you could just give us a flavor of what you actually did get up to in the summer. And then I think what we could do is, um, I almost want to jump backwards a little bit, like how you got to that point. Uh, because obviously what you did in the summer was, uh, was, was damage record-breaking, <laughs> from what I understand. And it was, um, I'm sure there's a lot of stories that have been born through that. But, but yeah, I think uh, you giving that highlight reel up top and then we maybe go back a little bit and then we go back into what you did during the summer would be, uh, would be amazing. Yeah. So I, I this summer I, I basically set out to run the river Danube from the sea to the source, which on paper before I went was going to be about sort of 1800 miles. And I had a sort of small, sort of smallish sort of time frame in which to do it. So I had, um, 67 days, essentially, I was leaving the day after my son's birthday on the 23rd, 24th of June and I was going to arrive in Germany at the source of the, the Danube uh, on the day of my wife's birthday um, at the end of August so this this adventure would take me following the river Danube from the source on the Black Sea in Romania through eight countries Romania Bulgaria Croatia Serbia Hungary Slovakia Austria and then eventually Germany to the source of the river in a place called Donau Eschingen which was in kind of in the south of Germany, uh, near the Black Forest. And I would be running with everything I needed to be self-sufficient. So I had about 10 to 12 kilos on my back in a backpack. I had everything I needed to either camp in campsites or wild camp. Um, I carried some food with me that I had restocked at certain points. And uh, yeah, I just set out to run this river. And it's something that I found before I went that had never been done. And, you know, I'd, or at least I could find no record of anyone ever having done it. And I, I really was sort of love the idea of this adventure along through, you know, along a river that connects so many people, so many countries, so many cultures uh, with so much history, actually, that it was just a really kind of, I don't know, it was like a big lure for me. And then when I found out no one had done it, I, that was the icing on the cake. And I thought, you know, what, I, I have to go and do this I, and for about sort of maybe it must be like seven or eight, nine years where I've been thinking about it, but I set off and, and I did it, um, yeah, and covered it. it. Ended up being one thousand eight hundred and thirty wow. miles, and I actually did it in sixty six days. So I now have what's called the fastest known time. Um, I, as far as I understand, it's a, it's a world record as well. Although I haven't applied for it to be in the Guinness Book or whatever, because that's a more complicated sort of process. But yeah, so to become the first person to to run that river is it was amazing. I feel very honoured to have been given the chance to do it. Oh, it's incredible. Incredible. I mean, I, I think there's so many aspects to that that you've already touched on. There's doing something which is, is, is very unique in that running this without a kind of traditional paving way. It's not a race. It's not a, it's not something that um, people know about in many ways. I think that the cultural aspect is super interesting. 
I know that uh, before you ran, I started watching a few videos of yours where you were talking about some of your fears and actually you wrote out a few cards in different languages um, for when you were going through as, as prep, which is really interesting and, and, and a really nuanced way to look at something like this because um, most runs, most uh, adventures, yeah, you don't really go across so many countries. So really fascinating. I, and how did you get onto this? I mean, you said you'd listened to it for, you've heard of it for kind of or planned it for seven or eight years. I think you'd also done a couple of other kind of epic runs. Uh, was it you'd done the Marathon de Sable maybe? And I think you've also done a bit of a river run where I think um, you'd also run down the Thames. So it, with, with, what came first? Was it one of those and then it inspired you to think again? Or did you just always have your eye on this particular river? No, I mean, I I, I think I'm like most runners. I, I, I... I sort of came into running almost sort of by accident. I used to, I was a footballer really for most of my sort of young life. I didn't write, running was something that I didn't like. You know, you turn up to a training session and the, the coach would say, you can put the balls away tonight, lads, you don't need them. And you knew what was coming. It was like a running session. It was just like, that would be the worst sort of news. Exactly. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, <laughs> back to pre-season nightmare. Like. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, exactly. And I didn't really, I mean, I did run a bit obviously to keep fit and I had but I would, you know, when I was a kid, I'd go down, I'd sort of train in my idea of training. I'd go to a football pitch and run around the football pitch. You know, and even though I lived in North Devon where there's loads of coastal trails, I have no idea why I didn't think of it. And then I, I, one day I did a 10K around London. I ran past the House of Parliament as Big Ben chimed. It was a beautiful day and there were crowds. And I just thought, wow, this is like something. Well, this is amazing. So I went back and signed up for a half marathon. Did the half marathon around London as well, the Royal Parks. Ah, oh, lovely. Yeah. Went back immediately that day. And then signed up for my first marathon, and then I just got I, it just sort of steamrolled. And I've I've been running since about two thousand and nine was my first marathon, and increasingly you you I think I do what a lot of runners do. You sort of you try and go faster, and you then you sort of look for different things. And I I'm a journalist, so I love the idea of running comes with the ability to tell sort of stories, and you have these adventures where there are stories attached. And so I looked at what it would take to become an I ran I read Born to Run which is a famous running book Kristen McDougall that lots of people may well know it's a great book to read if even if you're not into running but it it opened up my world to ultra running and the idea that most people might perceive a marathon as the limit of endurance but actually you know that's a bit of an arbitrary limit we've put on ourselves and there are people doing way way more so I decided to I would try and do as many of the different types of ultra run as I possibly could for a feature that I was writing for men's health. So that was like a, a coastal ultra. It would be like a, a, a mountain ultra go to my first hundred K. And I sort of started to do all these different things and that just kind of layered up. And over the years, I then started to think, well, outside of official races, I just started taking on individual team challenges with just with mates. And one of those, as you mentioned, was we decided to go and, run the Thames from source to sea, which I think was like 190 miles in three days. Um, and then we, you know, I've done the marathon de Saab was another one of those where, you know, it's a big famous challenge and it was a wonderful thing to do. And it, it, all of these things have sort of layered up and eventually I got to the point where I'd done quite a lot and I, I was looking for something that was bigger than anything I'd done before and a real a real challenge, a once in a lifetime kind of adventure and something that I, I kind of describe it as like a possible impossible where you, you're not really sure if you, if, if you're going to make it or not, but it's going to test you in a way that nothing else has. And that's where I came. 
back to the to the idea of the the Danube. And I first I'd been on I'd been the story of how Danube kind of emerged was I I was running I was traveling around um, Eastern Europe at the time. I actually ended up in Vienna. And I was sat with a friend from Belgrade and a friend from Vienna. And the friend from Vienna said to the friend from Belgrade, "If I put a message into a bottle and throw it into the river, you can fish it out in six days' time, and this is how we'll communicate." And this idea just stayed with me of the river, and I thought it was like a beautiful sort of romantic idea of, you know, just this connecting kind of river. And then, so when I was looking for a challenge, this sort of kept popping, and I, I basically just tapped into Google, "How long is the River Danube?" It came back at I think one thousand seven hundred seventy miles. I divided that immediately by a marathon distance, which came back at like 67 days or 70 days. And I was like, well, that, you know, that's actually in terms of life and logistics and time away from work and everything. It's, it's not like I'm, it's not like a year. It's possible. It's kind of possible. It's kind of crazy, but possible. So that's really where it sort of came to. It's really interesting that, I mean, especially the, um, the the timing is seems like a perfect one i mean you can talk you probably talk about this a bit later but obviously you have a wife and a, and a child i think your child was turning six or seven after the birthday um and um for that type of time away that seems yeah it's manageable to a certain extent i mean i think that your family did come along at some point um to catch you up but um yeah it is it, that type of time and distance it is it is it, not everybody needs to, to do something uh, at that scale for sure. And it's not right for everybody, but, but a couple of months at some point in someone's life where they can take on something for almost for them it is something that's attainable for, for a lot of people. So it's always an interesting one. I think when people listen and find out how someone got to the point of taking two months and doing something like that, and, and obviously sabbaticals or whatever come in very different shapes and forms, but yeah, it's really interesting that you, um you landed on this one and uh yeah what a one it what a one it is yeah and i i mean you know in terms of sort of carving the time out i'm very lucky that i have you know my my wife was able to support me and gave me the all clear she knew i'd been thinking about it for and talking about it for a long time and i think knew that this was something that if i didn't once i'd had the idea once if i didn't have a shot at it i would probably always regret not giving it a crack so she gave me the platform uh, it was very difficult to be away from them and away from you know away from my son and all of those things but they they were wonderful in terms of support i you know i appreciate financially also there's a not everyone maybe has the the possibility for it but and i, I think you're right you don't it doesn't have to be two months but i think one of the things that i've took away from this was that you can you know you can have you can i think you can create similar feelings in 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 two or three days and you know, it's just this idea of going and doing something for yourself and pushing yourself. I think it can come in many sort of forms and and at different, like you said, different scales and different amounts of time. Um, but I, one thing I do know is if you can put, if you're if you're deciding whether or not it's worth it, I actually think that the the value that you get back for your life beyond it is is absolutely worth the investment. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, there's there's so much perspective that's added, right? At that point, it's it's uh, it's a memory that's going to last forever for sure. Um, if if we just go back a a few minutes, I guess you because at, at this moment in time, to me, it's like wow, you've kind of fused your uh, passion of running um, and taking on some of these adventures, also with your career. Um, what started to come first back then? So you started running in two thousand and nine or so. 
were you already becoming a journalist at this point? How, how did you navigate that path at the very beginning? So I, I was a journalist before, but I, you know, when I started running, I was actually a tech journalist. I was the editor of um, a consumer tech website. And actually what happened is around about the time when I started running, it was really the advent of wearable technology coming to sort of fruition. So you sort of had things like the Nike fuel band and, you know, pedometers, and then you got into kind of heart rate monitor, GPS watches just started to really become a, you know, a thing that wasn't too big on the wrist. And, and that really kicked off with kind of, um, I guess the sort of self-analysis sort of tools that we had. And actually in where I worked, most people came from a slightly different sort of background. No one really wanted to test them. So I, I, I really enjoyed it because it was part, it was sort of part of, it came along at the same time. I could improve my running and look at, you know, apps and diagnostics and all this kind of data and stuff. So um, I, I kind of started to be the person who reviewed all of that gear and that whole industry has just boomed since then. It's kind of almost grown in. Yeah, it's crazy, right? The last 10, 15 years. I mean, what you can do, I mean, that's the thing. And it's what you can do now from where, you know, I think I was, I had one of the very first ever, um, sort of biometric pedometer sort of sensors and you used to, have to wear it strapped to your arm people used to think like, why on earth would you count your steps like that they, they, honestly all my family thought I was nuts because they hadn't really sort of seen all of the stuff that we now just take for granted and even you sort of throw it forward now next level stuff that I get to test sort of uh, like real-time blood glucose monitors and all these things so it's still going so I, I guess it's um yeah I was fortunate in as much as there was there was a place for me to develop my career and running and technology became very closely matched. So I was, I had a, an air, a place to sort of, to write. I also, like I said, I realized you could, you know, you could fuse the idea of running and the stories and the adventures. And there were lots of publications who were interested in all of that. And I, I think shortly after that as well, you saw quite a running boom as well. Lots more people took it up. You start to see kind of cooler running clubs arrive on the scene and running went from being something that I think was a bit kind of, uh, sort of geeky to being quite mainstream that everyone was doing it so it's it, it sort of I was lucky to be in, in amongst kind of that wave and I guess it's one of the things that it, it, I, there's a people sort of have written about this who are sort of far smarter than me but there's um there's a Murakami writes about uh, you know what I um I can't remember the name of the book now. It's what I learned when I, I learned everything from running is essentially the paraphrase of the book I should know the title there but he He's a, he's a he discovered running and running as part of his sort of creative process and how it sort of frees up the the mind and and having this every day helps to unlock and I I completely sort of get that it it's I work better and smarter and write better and smarter if I've done a run in the morning so they're almost like weirdly sort of related and symbiotic and I lo- I love there's nothing better than going on a, a a big adventure and then coming back and be able to tell to write a story about it for somebody and that might involve testing some tech it might just involve explaining the experience and so those two things i guess grew grew together i mean there's there's a massive risk as well because if i get injured i can't <laughs> i'm in trouble but <laughs> yeah you uh well there's a lot of recovery sports tech that uh you'd have to start experimenting yeah, with yeah um, on, on that yeah. road yeah that makes sense i oh, know that that's wonderful though and i think that you're you're touching a lot of points i mean the the, diff, the different communities that have popped up in running over the last 10 or 15 years and could be the really hardcore ultra trail runners and um i see quite a lot of them out here in, in switzerland for the various different races um 
or just other niche small running clubs that are a lot more inclusive now, um, at least a lot of the ones that I see anyway. And um, there is a whole different environment to it. And, and as you said, sometimes it, it is like the one thing, regardless of your mood almost, that it can help. Like if you're really annoyed, you've had a bad day, it's a good way to get out and just kind of just cleanse yourself. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's almost like the, the, the days that I find it most beneficial, the days when I sit there, I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm almost too grumpy or too tired or too frustrated, whatever it is, to go for a run. And those that where you oh, don't have to force yourself out. And then when you get out there, those are the ones that really make have a huge impact and it sort of changes everything. It's It seems most impactful when you least kind of want it in a way. It's like one of those, but yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and did you kind of, I mean, how quickly did you really fall in love with loving, uh, with running? Because you did the you did your half and immediately signed up for the, uh, for the marathon. Was that the feeling that you got or was it almost the... There's also something quite special about a race. Like I don't race very often, um, probably only once every few years. Um, not 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 too often at all, really. But when I do it, it there's definitely like an energy, and um, and then you do you can push yourself a little bit further. And um, but yeah, what was the turning point for you? Was it that community aspect, or was it just the pushing yourself to your kind of limits that day? And you went, oh, I wonder how how much further I can go. Or just a hybrid of all those things. Like, what was your? Yeah, how did it trigger this? Well, such a passion, I guess. I, I, you know, the marathon, I guess, is always that one of those things that it's, you know, it's a tick on on the the bucket list or whatever. People do it and then often yeah. maybe give up. And I, I did when I did my first one in Paris. That was pretty much. I wasn't really seeing beyond that. I was like, do a marathon, brilliant tick. And then I was actually standing outside of a pub with a friend that I'd, it was a friend of a friend that I'd just met that day on the weekend, we were traveling, you know, together. And um, I'd actually had, you know, I was like on my third or fourth pint and was actually having a cigarette and uh, outside the pub, having a victory cigarette, which seems nuts now. But, um, and he turned to me and he said, you know, you can go faster. And I'll never forget him saying that. And I was like, what, what do you mean? You know, I'm like, oh, it's done, you know, I'm finished. He's like, well, you can, you can go faster than that with a, if you with a bit more targeted training you can go faster and i'm i am quite competitive with myself in that way and that that really was like okay well now now it's changed me doing this one and going home and victory to thinking maybe there's more to this and there's there's a longer road in this and, and trying to go faster and i think yet yeah, initially my running was very much about races and about trying to go faster and be better and you know constantly sort of challenging myself and looking at the watch and paces and and then I think as you sort of go through the stages of running I think you sort of evolve a little bit and gradually I think now I think ultra running brings a little bit out of you in this because ultra running is although they are races or the most mountain races they're, they're much less about what's going on around you and everyone else and really really introspective they're about you versus this enormous challenge and so you check, you have to kind of take a slightly yeah. different approach. You you end up going slower, you end up eating differently, you end up being in environments that are a bit more expansive and it becomes more about tuning into the world around than maybe busting through a city marathon. And those things I think are part of the sort of stepping stones to the kind of adventure where, you know, you go and tackle something like the Thames or the Danube or, you know, the Marathon de Saab, because yeah, you you have to have developed a slightly different mindset you have to enjoy being out for long long periods of time and part of that the way you get through that i think is either to 
you have to either look inwardly and, and get coping mechanisms or you sort of look outward and and try and you know be absorbed by the landscape a bit and all of those kind of things so yeah i think i think the other element as well around the especially the ultra running and, and actually i think just more broadly trail running um there's just i almost feel like in some ways the entry point for in, into running would almost be better for many people if they did start mm. on a trail run not necessarily an ultra but the idea of doing a run and people's first question not being like hey what was your 5k time because people know what a 5k time is they know what a 10k time is they might know what a half marathon they know what a marathon is did you break four hours and, and all the rest of it whereas when you do a trail run people are like oh cool where was that was there many hills yeah. like like it's there's a um there's a, a purity in it almost and um and as you said like conditions can change everything in that in those type of races i, I did my first ever um the bigger trail run uh like five six years ago and i remember like getting there and and i was doing the it was it's called the eiger trail in 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 the bernie's Oberland here in switzerland and um i wasn't doing the big one the big one's like 100k at the time i was doing the the, the 51 um but i just remember like just standing by behind two people having a conversation uh after the race had finished and i think they'd said something like oh yeah uh he actually was uh two we were two hours slower this year than last year like in, in terms of like the winner and I was like, wow, like, but it was almost like that was the only time I ever heard anybody talk yeah. about the time. Yeah. And and nobody else did. And it was just because, yeah, the conditions were yeah. a bit better or a bit worse. Uh, if it snows quite high, then pff, good luck <laughs> trying, to, uh, trying to knock off a lot, a lot of time. And it was really cool to kind of, yeah, just to hear that um, because it was, it, it, it felt like everybody was there, like for a real personal challenge. And there wasn't necessarily a lot of external pressure for, hitting a certain time i think maybe it, it'll change as, as as things go because some of the races get bigger and, and and people become more informed i guess of what what is a good time what's a medium time what does all that mean but but not to the masses not yet it's gonna take ages for like your average friend just to understand okay you've done 51 kilometers and there's 2000 meters incline what does that mean in terms of time like yeah like most people wouldn't know so uh so i think that despite ultras not necessarily being a thing for the, probably the majority of people, the kind of trail running aspect, I think, I hope that really continues to really grow at pace, right. uh, almost like an evolution of some of these like park runs, but maybe just not at certain five kilometer type um, time periods. I think different versions of that over time could almost be a really, really nice welcome and entry point for a lot of I, people. I completely agree. And I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've discovered sort of in the, in the more recent years of running and ultra running has given me this a little bit is the, you know, if I, if I think back to sort of the time when I was really training hard for lots and lots of city marathons, and that was my main focus or a half marathon, the idea that you would stop during a run was alien. I, I, you know, you hold up this idea, people look at you, go, you, you stop because don't you seize up? How do you get going again? You know, what's like running? It's like you have to start and then you mustn't stop until you've finished. Actually ultra running, you've, I've learned the skills of, when the Danube it happened you know it was completely the opposite I I love now going out and sticking a, a bag on my back with some food in it and I might go and run around the new forest here in the UK I don't know how long I'm going to go for I, I I'll come back when I get bored but if I sometimes I'll sit on a log and stop and have something to eat halfway through might maybe 10 12 miles in and then I'll go and come back but that could eat that could equally be if you went out for a five mile meander and you take a moment to stop somewhere and you can get moving again and it's not this big 
you know it's not this big you mustn't stop and i having that experience i think would be quite well having that freedom actually to to stop and rest and recover and go again i think people will be surprised how they can you know almost sort of put together different longer distances and feel a bit more confident about it because yeah and i you know it's one thing i i as i was training for the danube i was run a lot along the thames and i, I remember in one morning when I, I was doing seven marathons in seven days to try and see what would happen to the body and i did it all around london and one morning i ran past a bunch of kids from one of the local schools doing cross country and out the front there were these kids who were absolutely belting it you know they were hammered down at the front <laughs> clearly enjoying yeah. it you know they were in the race you know and there were about five or six of them and then a bit further along i passed a group of you know smaller group of people and then more and more kind of stragglers who were suffering well hate you could see etched on their faces they were hating it and my initial thought was like actually this this is being this is wrong this is done wrong these young kids and most of the majority of them are not enjoying it because they probably don't feel like they're great at this and they're suffering and it's no fun. And this is because everybody, this is because it's been formatted to them as a race and there's a challenge and it's too much pressure. I'm like all these, there should be a, a, someone with them, a coach and they should all be running together and they should be chatting and they should be doing all the chatting that they're not allowed to do in class, whatever class, this should be a free moment for them just to enjoy each other's company and be social and, and, I imagine that lots more kids would come out of school without that memory that a lot of us have got, or a lot of people have. You talk to most people, they'll so they'll have mentioned cross country and how abominable it was and how cold and terrible and awful. Yeah, it's it's wild that they always put it like in the like right bang in the middle of winter, and you could only do it with shorts and t shirt yeah. on. And yeah. like, it was a punishment. Yeah. Well, I thought it, like at the time, I, I genuinely we, we would leave and just think, oh, the PE teachers just love <laughs> doing yeah. this to us, like. Because you mess, like you think it's you. You also just think it's probably just your school. You probably just think it's your yeah. PE teacher. But I do think that for a long period of time, that was just like when it was, yeah. when it was in the in the calendar. Yeah. And uh, but you're completely right. If there was a way of uh, integrating a, a much more, yeah, like community approach to run it, slower, and, um, you know, run slower. It just no one, yeah, no one runs beyond the the, the person who's, you know, the, the pace that you move at should be the pace of probably the slowest person in the group you know and as it runs a collective and i just think that would make that would make people feel much more positive about the whole experience because i bet a lot of people come out of that feeling like i'm no good i'm too slow i have you know i'm always at the back it's it's oh, it's too cold i'm 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 they're all running to the point where you can see that they're running too fast and it's it's pain not painful but you know what i mean it's like they're overreaching so yeah they're gonna get to the end and go well that's that's horrible. <laughs> and if you <laughs> exactly, and and I think yeah, and it's a, a subjective experience. I mean, I guess for for me within my own personal friendships and relationships, but it's very similar in that, except for one or two who would have done like um, really went hard on athletics club up until the age of sixteen, eighteen. Maybe they continue running a bit, but the vast majority of everybody else I know just kind of stopped it and put it on hold and then they picked it up maybe like late 20s if they've picked it back up again yeah. at all maybe sometimes actually in the 30s and then a bit more um yeah. but it is weird that we come out of school in some ways and have that disenchanted feeling with it or we just we just see it as a completely different thing to actually what it can they be leave it you know they, like you said though a lot of people leave it till their 30s and then they get a bit unfit maybe a little out of shape and they realize they have to do something and they think well okay I'll, maybe i'll give this running thing a, a go and then i think some people 
then find a different way to do it. They realize, oh, well, actually, this is there's so many positives to come out of it. And if I I didn't realize that back then because I that's I was never it was never framed for me in this way. Kind of that's where I think a lot of the you know the new run clubs are great. Where it's 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 more about the social necessarily than the performance. And don't get me wrong, I think you know in in schools I I still totally think if there's you know a dozen kids or whatever who actually want to do the fast racing stuff then brilliant you know because my competition's fantastic and there's you know there's always going to be people who should be definitely an opportunity to excel at that and that's great but i do think the you know it just ties into that whole idea of you know the trails and the exploration and the adventure of it rather than the how fast was i did i come last you know why yeah all of that kind of stuff which is again back to the tying it back to the danube was a huge part of the the beauty of that run you know i ran very very slow but i do a marathon on average a day but it would take me six seven hours i'd stop and you know I, one time i stopped 17 miles into the marathon distance and ate a, chit, a schnitzel and then <laughs> <laughs> i mean you kind of have to aren't you in the kind of dak region uh, it's uh that or a yeah a good cordon bleu somewhere yeah, yeah I, I, I hear you but yeah. Yeah, if you go back to the marathon days, or when I was, I mean, I still run city marathons, but that idea of, you know, would have been launching a, a schnitzel the size of my own head 17 miles into a run and getting yeah. up and being able to run after would have, I'd have said you were crazy. But actually, it's, it was wonderful. It was, in, you know, I found a beautiful little cafe and that whole day and that experience was better for it. Amazing. Was there any races that kind of stood out for you that, that really triggered another few emotions around? especially around the kind of exploration. I know that you, you took on some, some trails or ultras in, 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 on the coast or in some of the mountains, but was there any like experiences, anybody you met along the way that, that kind of continued to just fire that, that passion within you or, or, or just trigger an emotion that was like, yeah, this is just what I love. Like, yeah. yeah any, any ones that kind of stand out over yeah, the years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of them has to be the Marathon de Saab. And I think, you know, that was... I heard about that from a friend at work. I, I, I sort of vaguely heard about this desert race, but not really in any way with any knowledge. And then my friend, colleague from work, did it. And then when I sort of it was one of those when I, when I realised he was a fit guy, but I was like, well, okay, he could do it. And I was I was like, I I'd, I was almost in my kind of fittest that I'd ever been at that point. And I thought, well, actually, now I might as well go and give it a crack. And on that race. Uh, that was a real kind of eye opener because it was the, that was at the time the, the biggest challenge I'd, I'd ever taken on. You know, you're stepping so much into the unknown with what's going to happen in the desert, and you have all these fears about. You know, it's actually you know there might are you going to be in proper real danger? You're, mainly, you're not because it's well it's fairly well organised, but you don't know. You don't know. It, it costs quite a lot of money as well. So you, as I knew, it's one of those things where you were only going to get one shot at this. And there's so many logistical things to sort of battle, but really just the, apart from going and completing it in the personal achievement, one of the best things out of that was we arrived. Uh, I only knew, I knew one other girl who was traveling with me and we didn't have a tent. Some people organized themselves into these tents of eight people before they go. So they know who's going to, they're going to be tent mates with. We didn't. So we arrived in the dark at the bivouac and they just sent us into, and you just chose a tent to sort of crawl into in the dark we got straight into our sleeping bags went to sleep you wake up the next morning and there's six other people kind of sam you know sardine beside you and these people totally random and now you're tent mates and over this course of the seven days where you're all running and you become 
you bond and they, these people become very special. Um, they become, you know, they're your, they're your support. And I'm still friends with lots of those people now. And Bex, the, the, was the girl who traveled with me, you know, we became much kind of closer. We know each other a little bit from sort of running in London, but that was what really kind of cemented our sort of venture relationship. And then Bex came with me as, as did another runner from the MDS to do the Thames uh, source to sea. Bex also came out to another great race, which is a real challenge that has sort of stayed with me was called the Lavaredo. It's a, it's a mountain race in Italy, 120 kilometers, I think with about 6,000 meters of climbing. And again, that was the testiest kind of another different challenge for me. And one of the hardest things I've ever done, I've failed to finish that race twice, but, and it's a, it's such a beautiful race. You know, when you can run for 22 hours and, and come home and think, and you sort of haven't finished and it's like, I, that's, you know, I'd left that thinking, well, that's the longest I've ever run for. But at that point I'd never run for that. And I come home thinking, am I a failure? And I was like, well, no, because you know, this is still the longest I've ever run in an environment. And on one of the occasions, the second time I went back, Bex came with me, we ran together. Um, and these, these are all layers. I think they're all, they all taught me something. They all gave me people who, support you know supported me as I went through each of the next kind of stage of the challenge and uh, without the learning experiences without the people supporting the Danube can't happen and yeah each each one of those sort of drives you on and gives you it's again another story to tell and another it's it's just another uh, another reason to kind of fall in love with running and and I, I think weirdly the, the falling in love with a little bit with the idea of that it's okay and often good to suffer a bit. Definitely. Definitely. I think what, one thing that really stood out when I watched a couple of your YouTube videos was you do have this perspective somehow that um, out of all the things that you worry about, this idea of like what, what people might perceive as any kind of failure, for example, if you, if you don't finish a race is not a worry, uh, which is, which is awesome. And I think that you talked about, when you're preparing for the, for this run in the summer, you're thinking, "Hey, like some of my worries, I'm definitely going to get a water. Like, where's the camping setup going to be? Is that going to be fine? It's going to be wild dogs. Um, I'm going to be worried about missing my family." But then you're just like, "I'm not worried about not finishing. I mean, yeah, I'm worried that in case my tendons um, don't don't keep up for the entire race. But there's but there's no like harm in that. And I think it's really refreshing to hear and 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 what you've just talked about there in terms of not finishing a couple of those races, but already in the aftermath of traveling home and just having the ability to reflect in such a positive manner so quickly, I think it's actually quite rare. I think that, um, yeah, and I, I think it takes experience to learn how to do that. Um, did, did you did you always have that? Like, is it always come with your your running or is that just something you, you, you learned as you went, like having that positive mindset off the back of any kind of like, setbacks because also what you took on the summer no matter what you have to have that because there's definitely going to be some setbacks so already going already knowing in your mind i know that even when something goes bad i know i'm going to be able to mentally handle it it must be really empowering um but yeah did you always have that kind of mindset over the years or is it something you just kind of picked up as you as you went no i i, I think i've i think it's probably developed and i, I don't think sort of necessarily even consciously but i think putting yourself through all these challenges and you know the way that i have built has been 
pretty gradual really so you know like i say it's like this sort of layer effect and each time you encounter difficulty if if it goes wrong or you or the hard the harder something is and you come through that the next time you go somewhere to do something you've got that to look back on and you can say well okay i managed to survive that so this wasn't isn't as this current situation either isn't as bad as that or or if something's gone wrong in the past it's i yeah i think you have to try and as much as possible just try and find a sort of silver lining in it all and look for a positive to take out of every single race that you do and they don't all go right um you know i think the Lavaredo is probably one of mine that's you know it's still a bit of a, a thing that i want a challenge that i want to complete but what i what i realized from the Lavaredo was not finishing the first time was that i wasn't i hadn't really prepared necessarily properly i wasn't really a a mountain runner it, i arrived on the mountains and the mountains sort of taught me a little <laughs> lesson they're like okay so you can run on the flat and then it's like this is but you you know it all makes it does all make you stronger and i just you know it's even like I, in subsequent runs there's there's no place or that you know there hasn't been anything quite as hard as being halfway up the longest climb on the Lavaredo, where i'm taking to every 20 steps i have to stop because my heart rate's 180 beats per minute and i feel sick and tired and so you can look back at that and go, okay, well, it's not as bad as this. And I, I definitely had to use that in, on the Danube. And there were loads of different moments where I looked for the silver linings in things. So, you know, one of the things I sort of talked a lot about was the dogs, but, and then sometimes I found myself running on big main roads where there were just endless kind of speeding trucks. Yeah. But some of those roads, trucks, yeah. there were no dogs. Yeah. So, you know, there was, and I was like, well, at least there are no dogs. There may be trucks, but there are no dogs. And then sometimes if I encounter the dogs, I'd be like, well, at least there are no trucks, you know? So it's like, and you just sort of flip it. But I think it's just about, yeah, I think running definitely helps you to sort of build a more, a more resilience. You know, I can even think back to when my son was born and all of those sort of late nights that you have to have, or, you know, super sort of tired and it's four in the morning. I'd be sort of sat and he he's sort of in his cot crying or whatever I'm holding him or feeding or whatever was happening and I just think well this could be much worse I could be halfway up that mountain cold <laughs> in, in the Dolomites in Italy I'm not I'm sat on a warm carpet you know uh, and I'm, I'm actually not as tired as I was back then so it you know it gives you tools that you, I think you could take outside of, of running into the, the more world as well just to be a bit more I think I sort of talked about it during the Danube was to you know, be almost like a surfer on a board, you know, with waves, just you sort of, the waves are coming, but you just rise and fall with them. Yeah, I like that. That's a great phrase, especially for something that um, that lasts for so many days like that. So so, so your actual prep for Danube, you, you did a bit, obviously you have to do some of the physical training. You, you did seven marathons in seven days. How else did you go about really preparing for this? I'm sure that you... I know that you you kind of mapped out your your routes on Camus on your watch and things. What what other elements were really key? And like also like even just the gear. Like how much did you test out? Because you took everything with you, right? Like you basically took a, a bivy and you and, and and just a couple of sets of clothes, I guess. But it's a lot to just carry on your back for uh, even so for, for that period of time. But yeah, what was that overall prep um, process? So the physical side of things, I kind of what I sort of say described to people is that all of the 10 12 years that I've been running was my training and that was the training yeah <laughs> that was the training and then I you know I, I did the seven and seven to 
to see how my body would hold up and give me a bit of confidence. I had no idea what would happen after I'd done on the Danube. I had no idea after seven days what might happen to the body. And, you know, to be honest, there's there's not an awful lot of prep beyond being in good condition and doing the seven that you can do. So I sort of, I almost put that to one side and I knew I'd go slowly and I'd build fitness on the, on the way. I guess the biggest challenge really was all the logistics. Like you say, like it took me, months to plan out all the routes on commute and try and work out the distances between locations where there was a, a viable camping spot, a piece of civilization. I emailed a lot of people ahead of time to ask them if I could stay, you know, and if they'd, you know, I said I was raising money for charity and if they would give me, I sort of described, it, I just need a you know, piece of grass that's basically, you know, five foot 11 long. And that's what, yeah, just, and just to keep the cost down, because, you know, even if you think about it, you know, a 10 euro per night over 60, so it all adds up. So I I did a lot of that. I, I had to sort of buy a lot of, you know, the dogs I prepped. I took, did a lot of research about how to sort of cope with dogs and dog attacks and what would happen. And I bought an audio deterrent and some, some, some dog spray you get from the police here as preparation. The gear, I'm in a fortunate position because it's my job to test gear. And yeah, you knew exactly what you were what you were looking for. I I knew, yeah, I'd sort of I I took a lot of stuff that was trusted, you know, I'd I'd used it in the past before. And uh it was just about whittling down what were the essentials and what to leave behind and how much weight. The backpack was a big was a big, big kind of challenge, finding the right backpack that could yeah. hold enough volume. Yeah, because it's not like it's not right and be durable. Exactly. Yeah, because it's not like a normal trail run where you have a few liters in there and, and that's going to do you even for 100, 120 kilometers. You really, like, you even had camp, like, you even had like some of your camping kit and stuff in there, right? So it's, it's yeah, that is very nuanced in um, in the way you did it. And and some things you have to replace kind of halfway around, like your trainers and that type of thing. Because I mean, 67 yeah. marathons is a lot. <laughs> so uh, did you have to replace that kind of halfway or? multiple times I, I, I don't know 700 miles in my first pair of shoes and then i had organized these kind of um kind of resupply packages to be sent to different locations or with some people who were coming out with friends and they they had a little bit of the the kind of sports nutrition that i like so more i guess technical running fuel you know gels and bars and stuff and reco- recovery powders that i you know, i would have and then yeah on a couple of places I had new shoes brought to me and yeah that so I used three pairs of shoes overall and uh they but they did you know I think I did 600 and then nearly six nearly 650 and then 500 and something and then the rest in the third pair so I was lucky to be able to have those um because you know you can't again you can't carry I would have been stuck or I'd have had to buy them from the shops and if you can't get the right ones um I think it goes back to your point as well around like this race in many ways, it's not race, this kind of um, adventure is almost perfect, even in the way that distance from the UK, even like if you were just doing this in another part of the world and you maybe can't have that, like, the, the chances of you getting the resupply kits in time or in the right place, et cetera, they don't work out. It's, it becomes a bit more, a bit more nuanced, yeah. that's for sure. But whereas this, the proximity. Um, yeah. Certainly, I'm sure there was it was still difficult to, to organize everything, especially across so many languages. But but yeah, that's, um... I mean that was another thing you, you mentioned the cards that I produced. I you know I I'm an over planner. I definitely over prep and I over worry about things. So I had yeah I had like a, a a bunch of phrases in each of the languages 
laminated on a card you know they were sort of said things like you know i love I'm a, that one of them was almost like a don't don't rob me kind of i wrote a paragraph which sort of said <laughs> i haven't got much i haven't got much i'm just i'm doing this for charity you know you know i didn't actually say please don't rob me but it was that it was something like to try and get people on side in the languages i actually never i didn't actually have to use them as it happens but i think having them was kind of a comfort because i knew at some point if i needed i think can it one of the lines was can i sleep on in your garden you know so i could just go into a shop and point at this thing <laughs> and say you know um and yeah these things I, I i guess they just give you a little bit of of comfort and then i had you know one wonderful thing my my wife and my son wrote little notes that they yeah, I saw this. This is awesome. I saw a few of these on your Instagram, which was, um, I'm sure they were, I was going to ask you, like, what were some of the key moments throughout? But some of these notes, I'm sure, must have stood out in many ways, just as like, a, I don't know, I, I can imagine it generally it being quite an emotional yeah. time anyway. And from start to finish, often the, the very start, start line, I'm sure it was emotional thinking, oh my God, what have I set myself up for? Um, yeah. But yeah, can you talk me through some of those? I mean, particularly that moment, but then almost what were the other moments that really stood out to you as well from almost the very beginning towards uh, towards the end? So the start was, yeah, I mean, I remember leaving my house. I had to leave to get a flight from Stansted and I left at three in the morning. So I put my son to bed and I knew I wasn't going to see him. And I sort of gave him a kiss and sort of snuck out. And it was, that was really, really difficult. Like uh, the cab ride and the flight to Romania was... I just felt homesick from the moment I left. It was really, that was intense. I got to Romania. I had sort of one day where I, I sort of to settle, settle in. And then on the morning of the first day, it's, you know, it's like sunrise, six o'clock or whatever. And I step out and I pull out the first one of these notes and I was pulling them at random and I opened it up and it was my, ah, oh, really? I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's so I just really had a, like, a packet of them. I just pulled them out. So I had no idea what they were going to say. And, the first one I opened up and it just said from my son's handwriting, I believe in you. And it broke me. Like it absolutely broke me. I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I, can, I, was I can imagine. I, I feel almost getting upset now. And I'm like, and it's, it's already happened. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, then it's like that, that was, it was such an important note to get first. And it, you know, that day I was like, that's all I need for now. It's almost like this is the, the, the first kind of, bookmark or whatever you know what you call it bookend for the whole of the of the run was just that note and there were so many of those along the way where just at the right time I opened them up and and they they sort of all said the right thing and they became incredibly important to me getting those messages equally messages from people just on YouTube and Instagram seemed to pop up at the right time there are a few people sometimes strangers that I'd uh, only they'd only sort of started following my story and they messaged me every day and I would read these as I was four o'clock in the morning eating my breakfast and I'd read these before I went out and I'm not sure some of the people realized how important it was and you know some of them my family but for some of them they they were absolute strangers and they the fact they got up every day and they were like go on Kieran we've you've got this just we sort of developed a little bit of a relationship and they it meant an awful lot it gave me the power to to, to crack on sometimes um and then there were so many wonderful moments along the way one of the and I guess that sort of leads into the one of the things, the biggest things that I take from the whole journey and the most important moments were the moments where I had kindness from strangers. And so often along the route, at random, people would arrive at moments when I really needed help uh, and just offer up kindness. I'll give you one example. So 
I was running in Bulgaria, maybe about 10 days in or something. It was, I'd done about 20 miles of a marathon. For some reason I was having a terrible day. I was really struggling and I, I was done. I, you know, it was, it was the hardest moment of this first sort of few weeks. And this car pulled up on the side of the road ahead of me. I was in the middle of nowhere on this main road. Car pulls up, guy gets out of the car, crosses the road and starts walking towards me. And I'm thinking, oh God, I don't need this. Like what's, you know, your first thought is what's going to happen. This is, is this going to be trouble? As I got closer, I realized that he was wearing kind of sort of quite bright running gear <laughs> and he was waving a bottle of water in his hand. And it turns out this was Dimitar who had seen what I was doing on social media, had driven an hour from his home in, in, um, in Bulgaria to come find me and support me, gave me Haribo, gave me water. He then drove a mile away and, or, and then ran back and he, we ran the, the final few miles together. He changed my day and then what drove legend. me to a hotel, a... <laughs> to a place where I, this day I was going to struggle to find accommodation. And because he had the car, it made everything easy. He then went home about five or six days later, he came out and crewed me for four days in the car in Romania. He drove again from his home Wow! and changed without him. It, you know, those four days would have been much more difficult. He was there after I met him for the four day crewing bit. Immediate, it, was the, it was the day after I'd suffered a really quite, the, my worst dog attack. And it was the lowest moment of the entire trip where I, I was afraid to leave my room and I nearly quit. The only thing that got me out of the room was knowing that Dimitar was going to meet me 20 miles in and then be with me for four days. And I you know, hadn't planned that. It's just he arrived. There were so many of these moments where people just came and offered time and support and, you know, little things, people giving you fruit by the side of the road or bottles of water for free when you went into a shop because they saw you know, it's 40 degrees and your mad backpack man's coming running. You know? And yeah, <laughs> with your laminated, with laminated sides, so you're sleep in your garden. garden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they, they're, and they, the time, the weird thing I'm, I'm, you know, I sort of say, but I'm not really a big kind of believer in the, the sort of the, the universal fate or whatever, but some of the timing of these things just, it was, it was weirdly bang on, you know, just when I needed it most, someone would appear and change everything. And without the, the platform of the kindness of strangers and then also other friends and family who came to support and run people sending messages, it doesn't get done. You know, the, the, I wouldn't have managed to achieve what I achieved. Um, and it was hugely sort of life affirming to see this, you know, it's made me wonder, would I be the same if I, if people were running through the UK, but. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like it really uh, changed your perspective on um, just how kind people yeah. can be. Um, and, and and how much they, they also want to be part of it, I think, as well. Like, people want to be part of special moments. And I think that they're also getting a huge amount out of that experience. And um, and, and and just helping someone in those moments, it, 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 it does yeah. a lot. It's, uh, it's really incredible. But that's lovely to hear. And I think that really, like, sometimes I, I've um, uh, pros and cons with kind of the social media world, but, like, the... For these type of experiences, there's nothing quite like it. Like I, I saw because because I've had the chance to speak to you today. I kind of it's kind of a weird one because I've kind of had the opportunity to go like back in time yeah. to like look at your videos of how you're doing your prep, and then I've kind of seen this um, 
growth in community of people sending you these messages because I've seen the comments and things. And it's really awesome to see. And you're right, like, there's loads of them that definitely don't know you. Yeah. You're just like, thanks. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you inspired me. It's like, wow, it's, um, it's really, really. And that, that was great. It was, you know, when I, every time I saw someone say, You've today I went out and did my four-mile run because I saw what you were doing. It, it's like a, you know, it was cyclical. It made me next morning, I was like, well, they've all done their thing because I'm doing my thing. So now I, you know, I took motivation from seeing what they'd done, you know, and went and did, and then did my next day, next stage. And the other, the other thing that was really fascinating was I think I had about so half a dozen friends and sometimes people I didn't know who came out to run with me. And um, my friend, Adam uh, Ray was a guy that I'd met doing the half marathon to Saab. He came from Switzerland. I had a friend called Andrew who traveled from the UK and um, they, each of them ran their own personal challenge and they did some really extreme things. So Adam had only ever previously run a marathon. He came out and ran, I think, 80 miles in three days, including 230 miles, carrying wow. the same gear as I was carrying. So he had a, like a 10, 12, I think he might be, his backpack was really heavy. So he had a lot more gear. And I watched him go through the, the, the pain and the suffering and the achievement. One of the, the second day I actually had finished and I went back out about three hours after and met him for his final mile. And I carried his backpack in for him. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. I mean, you get, you can echo that feeling of what they're having. That's, that's to really see cool. his, to see him struggle and achieve and go through it on subsequent days later in the challenge. When I was suffering, I was like, well, if Adam can do it, you can do it. And to see their achievements, and they all came, it was mad, they all came out and did these extre extreme kind of, um, extreme sort of personal challenges along the way and having them as part of it, I, it was just magic, you know, I, I loved watching that. It was, um, that was hugely inspirational for me, actually. Yeah, oh, that's that's amazing, that's amazing. And I think you've, you've mentioned one or two of these, actually, especially the on the dog side, but w w what were the moments throughout, or was there a moment where you thought, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's been a, a good haul here. We've done X amount of days, X amount of marathons, but I'm not sure. Like I, this is this is not. I just don't feel it. Or yeah, I've made myself done myself proud. I've already raised some money. Um, there's going to go to some wonderful charities. Do I really need to <laughs> keep going and, and push even further? I'm sure I've just got. I can see the train station up along, and I can probably hop on that train to Germany now. Did you have any of those? Um, yeah, along the way yeah i did and i as i sort of said the one the one time after the dog attack in romania that was you know i've been running for two weeks in you run on high alert and it's quite i was quite sort of running in fear and then that was the most serious attack that i'd had and that day kind of or that evening sat in my hotel room i was like i don't really want to i didn't come here to be actually in physical danger i've got a son you know i, I you know, there was all these things go through your head it's like is it worth it yeah is it actually worth it and I, I had to dig deep to get out. And like I said, I would—I don't think I would have gone if Dimitar hadn't have been coming. It would have been different that that morning. And then I think the second part of that was when I crossed the border from Bulgaria, where there were also dogs, into Serbia, and I went to stay at this campsite where there were lots of people. It's called Base Camp for Adventure. It's a beautiful place where there, it was a focal point for people traveling the river Danube on bike. Lots of cycle tourists, and there were more people going off down to Turkey or whatever. So it's a really, really wonderful adventurous place if you're ever in that area i'd re recommend checking it out they 
but I was meeting lots of people who were coming downstream. I was one of the only people really going upstream. Most people went the other way. And I, the, my first question was like, what are the dogs like in Serbia? And at least three people said, well, they're worse. And that night I was like, because I thought once I got into Serbia, I thought actually that problem would go away and I could just start to worry about running the distance. And I I was like, I, I felt sick. I was like, I, I can't go another three weeks running with this kind of fear. And I phoned my wife and I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I think I'm done. I can't, I'm not, I can't do it. If it's like that, then I'm going to come home. And she, she said to me, don't worry. She, we're going to come. They weren't planning to. She's like, we're going to come see you. And that they then said, I'm, we're going to come and meet you about four at the stage, about four days outside of Belgrade. So that was a, probably about five or six days from where I was at that time. And again, it was like, okay, she's like, just, or if you need to just don't worry about the time frame you'd set take two days and stay where you are, have some time to chill and we'll come to you and you'll get this challenge done. Don't, don't panic, you know, just chill. And I think even just the, her giving me that, that freedom, the option got me out the next day. Cause I was like, well, okay, I've got the option now, but maybe I'll use it if I need it, but maybe I don't. And it was weird that that just sort of relaxed me a bit. And luckily, the, I went out and the dogs weren't anywhere near as bad. So I, it, it, it became less of a problem. But there was that moment as well. I was that, that day, I was just like, I can't, you know, I don't think I can do any more of this. After that, once I got away from all of that, the I started to love it, actually. I, I really did. I, I really loved the rhythm of the, of the getting up and running and the, the movement and then, you know, the rest and recovery and the adventure and meeting people. And I just got stronger and stronger. And I think towards the end of it, I... I would have carried on. I didn't want to stop. I had I had no days really where I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your body would have been in a crazy condition, right? Where um, you are like so into this motion, and it's built now to, to to sustain these distances. And once you have a the habit of you know how you're going to sleep at night, and you know how you're eating. Yeah, I, I would have like I said if I think it's like eight hundred miles. I looked to get home to run home across Germany and France, and. I, I did. Oh, and you considered My wife it. said no. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. She was like, "You've enough, enough, enough." So, I, yeah. I mean, I was. I, think that's I, fair enough. Really, I guess I was looking. At, I wasn't really seriously. I sort of went. Like, like sort of rolled the dice, but uh, I, I, I knew. Yeah, that wasn't really going to be. I couldn't take it. It would take me another month or so, and that's too long. But um, that's how I was feeling, though. You know, I was enjoying it a lot. So, yeah, it was. It was. It was quite wonderful. Yeah. No, I I really understand how you feel. Like, it, I mean, not to the, not to the same extent, but um, but almost on both sides. Like when I when I did like a bike ride also through like the eastern part of Europe and, mm. and came down through like Poland and then through like Austria a little bit, Slovakia, Slovenia, and things. And I also had some experiences with dogs, but like luckily I was on a bike. Like it petrified the shit out of me. Like these dogs because they would chase you and but like I could like get away technically, but I I honestly kept on thinking like. I, it's hard to describe to people, I think, sometimes when they when you say like the wild dogs, but they're I mean, it's really dangerous. And um and and, and if you're running, I mean it's it scares it scares it scares me thinking about it. It's like it 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 really does. You know, if you think about my, my process, every time I got near a, a town or a place where there's a building or you know, it could be a remote building on a on these kind of remote trails that the dike roads that run along the river. And there'd be one farm building and I'd have to, I'd stop and walk about 200 meters away from it. And I'd be looking to see if the gates are open and what might come out. And you'd sort of see this thing often. You'd sort of see something 
cross the path up ahead and you'd be like, oh, God, here we go. Or, you know, weirdest is like even farm dogs, they would spot me like 500 meters away and they'd clock me and they'd start coming toward, they'd start running towards me. You're like, oh, here we go. And, and then through towns, uh. you'd have to stop and walk. And because if you're running, they chase you and you'd look at every gate. Then they'd, they'd sometimes there'd be, well, there'd be lots of dogs milling around. You never knew if any of them were going to be aggressive. And it, it wasn't really that I saw that many that were really, really hugely aggressive. There were enough that were uh, mildly aggressive. And then there were enough dogs generally that made, you were just always on high alert. And it was that fear of what might be was the worst thing. You know, it's, um, that was worse than what actually happened. Yeah, the anxiety building yeah. up, your heart just probably your heart rate at those moments in time probably go higher than like your your yeah. your averages throughout the day when you're running um yeah it must be a bit a bit and i don't i don't you know locals sort of seem to know how to deal with them a bit better but i've not encountered it it's like i'm i didn't really back myself to know exactly what to do you know it's, yeah and they, these things they don't you know for for people who were here i was trying to explain to them and some of them i don't think quite understood they're not like the waggy tail pet dogs that we have here these are dogs no. That look they've got a little bit more of like a hyena look about them you know they're all a bit mangy and a bit quite a wild-eyed and sort yeah. of they're scared and you know it's just a very very uh, I, I don't know it's like a strange it's a strange experience for, for sure and especially these ones on the farms they're almost like trained a little bit to protect which is also a yeah. little bit dangerous i mean it's um some of them are also like when i i was in montenegro this summer and when we were hiking they would be on these like crazy um chains where the they would be on like a rail so they could run for massive distances but they're on this rail and then they're chained up and all of a sudden one would be pelting it at you and you'd be like whoa yeah and then you realize oh my no it's actually on a rail even it doesn't seem like it and it's and it's petrifying because you just don't know yeah and 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 obviously that they're there to protect the farm and uh you're like okay i kind of get it and and there's probably been some circumstances in the past where the farmer has um, uh, got to this point where he thinks this is, is the most beneficial and necessary point. But yeah, it's nothing quite prepares you for those moments unless you're, uh, you're just praying that chain regions. is not that long, right? <laughs> yeah. And often, honestly, you think, hey, this is a big dog <laughs> and it's coming fast. I think he's going to break it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just, just like mentally, you're, you're all over the place. It's wild. Uh, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. so in terms of some of the extra motivations that you had throughout, I mean, you had these notes and things and I think um, raising the money, obviously, for, for the charities you did, that must have been quite encouraging and, and the other messages and things like that were co- that were coming through. Was there anything else that just kind of that got you through or, or were those the kind of main the main contributors towards just just keep pushing you? Or was there also just, I think you talked, talked about it earlier, but just you wanting to push yourself, like understanding where where you are and, and, and having this as such a personal challenge that is also, I guess, an, an extra motivating factor. My, my, there's a few things really. Like I, I think one huge driving force was actually the idea of how much I'd, my, how much sacrifice my family had made in order for me to have a go at this. And so I had to, you know, I, I owed it to myself to feel proud of myself, but to also to, to them to do it justice you know if they've given up a lot then you know i need to be strong and 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 push as hard as i can to achieve this the other thing i i think there was a i was really motivated by the idea that there's not 
many times I think in your life you get an opportunity to do something which I, I sort of consider to be sort of truly great you know I found this thing that no one's done ever and that was a real motivation it's like well this is your this is your chance to to do something really really incredible and uh, and that kind of pushed me on and then there was other sort of little things like my brother-in-law would send he sent motivational tiktoks to me on whatsapp every morning and sometimes these were brilliantly well timed and you know they got me out the door and uh, there was that and i guess knowing people would book flights to come out and meet at different points meant i i felt a little bit of duty to get to places and that didn't hurt at all to to, to feel like people had you know again invested in me and then every time another person had invested in me i would it, it kind of layered up again because you've all of a sudden got this thing where lots and lots of people have, have already backed you and made investments. So you've got to keep going. And, um, and that I used as a, as another thing to kind of provide strength. Ah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Um, Kieran will probably start, uh, closing it up pretty soon. Um, but just wondering kind of, I guess, based on the journey you've been on and, and maybe even just broader than, than just this incredible achievement in the summer of, of what you took on, but, for those people that are kind of trying to thinking, hey, I want to start something new. I want to take on a, a new adventure, whatever else it might be. But what would be the the piece, the one piece of advice you would give to somebody who is thinking about trying something or doing something new? I think the you know the one thing that really stands out for me about doing the Danube is that with all of these things, you you really don't know until you try. You know, and I know it sounds that's a massive cliche, but you don't you really don't know what you're capable of until you give it a shot and those things that probably seem sort of scary and big and really challenging are they're the ones that are the most rewarding and even if you give it a crack and you don't make it the fact that you've gone out and given it a crack and had a go that's the win that's the that's actually where the success is in actually having a shot and that's how i approached it danny before i'd have i went the fact that I made it to the start line of that adventure was a win for me. If I'd have not made it, it you know, it didn't matter. I would have been proud of myself for having this dream and, and having a crack at it. And I think that's it. Go and do it. Don't don't wait for a perfect time. It will never be perfect. Just go and have a crack. That's my advice. Don't sit on it too long. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um Awesome. Hey, Kieran, that was amazing. Uh, just want to quickly ask as well, like I saw on your social media, I mean, you did an amazing job of, of raising some money for some, I think, looks like some amazing charities. Can you actually just maybe just share a little bit about who they, which charities they are? And, and also, um, maybe you can just share a bit around how people can, can find you. Um, you've got quite a few different social medias going on and also maybe a, yeah. a link or two for the charity. But uh, if you wouldn't mind us sharing that, that would be great. I'll also include some of this in the show notes, but um yeah, if you could just give that context, yeah. that'd be awesome. Yeah, so the, I did. I raised money for five charities that all support poverty impacted children worldwide. So UNICEF, Save the Children, uh, the Starfish Great Hearts Foundation, who look after they help AIDS affected children in South Africa, um, for Farah, who are a charity who help Romanian children. So I wanted to do something that was sort of local to one of the countries that I ran through. And then there's a there's a charity called the Magic Breakfast who provide breakfast for children in the UK to have before school so they can go in and, you know, concentrate on their schoolwork with full bellies rather than sort of struggling. And, you know, it's just really important, I think, that people are given the chance to go out and 
you know, pursue their dreams, you know, anybody and everybody should have that opportunity. And I think this money will go to help lots of other people have the best opportunity of pursuing their own dreams. So that was, that was why I went for those guys. And there's, there's a link that I'm sure we can provide the charity still open. We've raised around 10,000 pounds so far, but I would love to, to raise more because they're all very, very good causes. And then if you want to catch up with the story, there's loads of videos on my YouTube channel, which is man V miles. And if you search for that, you'll find it. There's lots of videos. I did sort of daily videos of the story, or you can follow me on Instagram. Again, it's at man V miles and uh, on man V miles as well. Instagram, you'll find a link through to the charity as well. So that's a good place to start. Amazing. Hey, Kieran, that was awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. And um, I look forward to catching you up catch up again soon i'll give you a shout if i'm in the uk and uh maybe we won't go for a run but maybe like some, maybe a light jog i'm not sure i can keep up yeah. some of the distance you're doing but uh yeah it'd be great to catch up uh, another yeah. time you'd be very welcome thank you for having me on i'll take you maybe for a little jaunt along the thames at some point yes exactly look forward to it all right thanks very much and uh hope to speak to you again soon Thank you for listening, everyone. Beyond the Adventure is available on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit beyondtheadventure.com for all the relevant links. If you get a moment, please share with your friends and family. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to come onto the podcast, please reach out to me either by email on gareth at beyondtheadventure.com, through the website of beyondtheadventure.com, or reach out via my personal social media. My handles across Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn are all Gareth Brown UK. Thanks again, everyone, and bye for now.